Ahoy, ahoy, and welcome to What We Consume, a show about all the things we put into our minds and bodies. I'm your host, King Hagathor, and with me as always is... Hey, it's me, Kevin. Guys, don't get scammed. They're all out for your money and your bank accounts. They'll take thousands of dollars. You better be worried. It keeps you up all night. It may have happened to us, but I'm not telling you the details because it's a little embarrassing, but not really because these scammers are good. Yeah, it's also just not good to share the details if you <laughs> had some kind of fraud happen to you. Yeah, do you guys want to know all my bank accounts, debit card numbers, birthdays, and social security numbers? Because the scammer sure did. Yeah, and if you uh, like and comment on our Twitter, I'll share them with you. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> What we consume. Kevin, we've, we've been talking about, about a lot of criminals lately, both real and fake. Uh, it's been a, quite a ride of violence and toxic masculinity, so let's change it up a bit. Let's talk about a lady, a particular lady that goes by many names. The Black Widow, La Dona Grise, La Madrina, The Godmother, La Gordita. That sounds, like, that sounds like a uh, taco at Taco Bell. Yeah. It actually means little fat lady, so definitely that, not one of her favorite nicknames. Definitely um, could have been on um, on the menu at Taco Bell. Well, gorditas have been on the menu at oh, Taco the, Bell. Oh, isn't there something called the gordita crunch? Yes. Okay. I haven't eaten Taco Bell in like five years because it hurts my stomach, so I don't remember anything about it. Yeah. Uh, she also goes by La Dama de la Mafia. Today we're talking about Griselda Blanco. No idea who that is. You, I, I, we, we, we hit eyes together and I was like, he wants me to know if I know anything. Zero. Nothing no, popped I in my mind. I didn't expect you to know this. Uh, I only learned about her a couple of years ago, which is bizarre because she was a very influential woman. Well, if she uh, went by Gordito Crunch the whole time, I think more people would know. I I think that I think that we should start referencing her as Gordita Crunch. I'm not gonna do that. Uh, I don't know if that's sexist. Is that misogynistic or mean or something or like? Uh, it doesn't sound great. Ah, I guess I'll back off a little. <laughs> so uh, Griselda Blanca was very influential and powerful, but until recently hasn't been talked about as much as you'd expect for someone in her position it's because she's a uh, woman we don't talk about women i think that does play a part in it but um oh my god dude, we're be, talking about women and i just remembered a book that i wanted to uh read about a woman the first woman that goes to space ah that's the i, I forgot i already like i already had forgot sally, thank you uh, guys for remembering it sally ride no idea or, what her uh, name is or are you talking about the actual first woman that went to space uh, I, that we covered? Uh, oh, shit. What was her name? Uh, Valentina. Valentina something. I don't I don't know. I don't remember. I know she has like an autobiography. And when I, because I'm reading now, everybody, you guys all remember this. Uh, I, when I went into Barnes & Noble over like a, like a couple of weeks ago, I saw her book. And I was like, oh, I want to read that. It's about space, her going into it. And I was reading it. I, like, read the first couple of pages. Like, oh, this is written, like, a very good way to, like, keep my attention. And it was, like, super cool. So I, I wanted to read it. But I'm pretty sure we had covered we had covered it. Like, Yeah, Valentina. Sorry, Valentina uh, Tereshkova was the first woman in space. 
the first U.S. woman in space was, I want to say, Sally Ride. Oh, I think that's uh, it. I think it was the first U.S. woman. Sally, yeah. I think it's. I think that's it. Yeah, Sally Ride. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I know we just went off on a tangent, but it just popped in my head. I'm going to actually write that down so I don't forget it. I want to learn, guys. I want to learn. There is even an inkling of me like wanting to go back to school a little bit. This will this will come up in the in the, in the whole year, and uh, the whole next year. So I, I'm not going to commit to anything yet. But it's in it's processing in my head a little bit, just so everybody knows. It's very frustrating finding good definitive information uh, on Griselda Blanco. There's been a couple of movies, a couple of documentaries, and a few articles about specific parts. But for the most part. A lot of the writing about her was in tabloids, listicles, and interviews with those around her. So all the information is, or a lot of the information is secondhand and possibly embellished. What year was this? Well, we're going to start where she was born, but most of what we're going to be covering is uh, up to the late 70s. Oh, late 70s. Yeah, I mean, women had just gotten what their, what, women rights, like, a no, that's that's this that's civil rights. Jesus, well, no. When was when when was the women's rights movement? Well, I mean, the women's rights movement is still ongoing, but they got the ability to vote in nineteen nineteen or nineteen twenty. Yeah, so that's we covered still... it on we covered it on a uh, uh, carry nation. Episode. Yeah, that, that that's what I was trying to remember. Yeah. So, I mean, it hadn't been too long. And we still don't like women now, you know. America hates well, I mean, women. Well, I mean, you and I do, but yeah. Uh, unfortunately, like, there is still a lot of misogyny and whatnot. We'll see. I do think it is getting better over time, and we're seeing them differently. But there's definitely still misogynistic tendencies out of men for certain things. And in some cases out of women as well, which is very frustrating. Griselda Blanco was born most likely February 15th, 1943, in either Santa Marta or Cartagena, Colombia. Colombia was not doing super great at the time, like pretty rural, pretty, um, pretty poor comparatively, so like there wasn't a lot of like birth certificates or anything at the time, so it's it's harder to track down exactly. But um, like the most the most likely date was February fifteenth, nineteen forty three. Yeah, it's them damn Colombians, you know. Uh, Tony hates them, Maine. Yeah, uh, he he would have really hated Griselda. Uh, so there's not much information about her father, uh, Fernando Blanco. He was out of the picture by the time Griselda was three years old, which is when her mother, Anna Lucia Restrepo, moved them to Medellin, Colombia. So they lived in a poor barrio near uh, Medellin. Griselda did not have a happy childhood. When she was five years old, George Gaitan, uh, a promising presidential candidate, was assassinated. And this kicked off a Colombian civil war that would last for a decade called La, La Violencia, the violence. That sounds, uh, that sounds interesting. Are we, yeah. are we going to cover that one day? Uh, we might. It, it's definitely worth covering. Also, but the, there was like a massive riot that destroyed large portions of Bogota. Uh, rural police and political leaders encouraged 
conservative Colombian peasants to seize the agricultural lands from the liberal supporting peasants. And by seize, I mean by force. Kill them. Yeah. Yeah. They did a a similar thing in like, well, I'm not going to speak on this. I don't know if this is true, but I know in South Africa, they would like surround farmers and stuff and like kill their like livestock in front of them. And like, but I don't know if it was for like them taking the land. I don't, I don't remember the full story, but I know that's real. I just don't know what the means about it is. So don't take that as 100% fact, guys. But it did happen. Okay. So over the course of the next decade, just shy of 25,000 combatants would be killed along with 200,000 civilians. Jeez. Yeah. 200,000. Uh, that's a ton. And that was in yeah. like the 40s? Yes. So that was so like well like forty eight to fifty eight yeah. or forty eight to sixty. So none of them were in like the like uh, World War Two though, right? They didn't get involved no. in World War Two, yeah. So they, damn dude, the forties were awful. <laughs> Pretty much every decade <laughs> had a whole lot of awful. Uh, Speaking of like childhood, like happy childhoods, do you think like? I wonder if kids have happier childhoods now than they did back in the day. Like, every story that I hear about, like, like a grandparent to, like, their parents or their grandparents and stuff, they were mean as shit to their kids. Like, did yep. they actually have happy childhoods? Or was it, or is it just like, or it's like my dog Skip and, like, all that stuff, like, uh, glamorized it or whatever, you know? What's happening? It's about childhoods and if they're fun back in the day and if like you actually go like you know how like uh like the wonder years or all or like uh leave it to beaver or like the andy griffith show like all of those kids looked like they had good childhoods but is that real or did those were those kids actually happy during that time i mean no probably not uh those are TV shows. But, and I'm, I'm just wondering if kids are happier now than they were back then because of, like, maybe they have more freedoms or something. I don't know what to tell you, man. Uh, like, every every childhood's going to be different. Like, I had a pretty great childhood, uh, but I also knew kids who were getting the shit beat out of them by their parents daily or weekly. Like, that's... It's hard to say. Um I think I think people in our generation overall probably had ha- happier childhoods than the generation before us. But at the same time, I think like the kids growing up now, like my nephews, like some of them have known nothing but the pandemic. Like so are are they happy? I, I don't know. We we got to I wonder if there's statistics for this. We don't, we don't have to talk about about it now, but I just wonder if there's like child happiness statistics that's being like currently being tracked. But I don't know how you would, <clears throat> I don't know how you would get that. I guess you would have to survey adults as they got older about their childhood. Yeah, I don't know. It, Let's move and, on. And stats can be manipulated, so like hard to say. Many journalists, writers, and news services were forced to flee the country for fear of revenge violence if they tried to cover the story with a without a strong conservative slant because the conservatives were in control. They were the ones perpetuating the violence. So like if you wanted to write about it objectively or like critically, there's a good chance they would just come after you as well. Griselda became very familiar with death at a very young age. 
Nearly every day there would be new bodies in the street, and for a lot of children it became fairly common to bury these bodies as a pastime. Yeah, I guess it would... So there's just bodies laying around, right? Yeah, like you would just wake up, go outside, and there'd be like fresh isn't, bodies on the side of the road. Isn't that really common in like third world countries and stuff? I know I've heard stories about like people just driving along like the highways and stuff and like, well, I guess roads, I don't know if they have highways, but like in third world countries and they're just like dead bodies laying on the road and like nobody just reports them because it's so common. It, it depends. Um, like during periods of civil war or um, unrest yeah that kind of thing can definitely happen that's not just like every like south american country all the time but like during periods of violence yes uh that can be the case well i think it happened for cutting stuff as well like south america and africa why i wonder why the like i know like it's probably pushed real hard by like american propaganda but i wonder why like south america and like africa like have such problems like that or if a lot or, of it has to do with imperialism and colonialism by american and european uh forces i guess that makes sense yeah so but but, like, uh, but you know why so like uh, just a question if, if you know uh so like why when they like take over from the colonialism like they like try to change it like oh like colonialism's gone like quote unquote like you know and they have like their own government why doesn't it like work does that make does that make sense what i'm trying to ask well that's oftentimes really pushed like by propaganda but i mean starting a country is hard and like taking over a country is hard so like if if you've been under this colonial power or anything for a long time and you suddenly take over they've taken like as much of the wealth as they could they've taken like a lot of people they've and like there's just like a a vacuum that you have to fill and there's going to be opposition forces there's also going to be like sanctions from most likely from those colonial powers like like when we left afghanistan last was that last year or the year yeah um like, when America pulled out of Afghanistan um, just recently, like, they left them with pretty much nothing. And there was $7 billion in a foreign bank that was just, like, the people's money. And the U.S. froze that. And they claim they're gonna, like, redistribute half of it and then, like they're going to give the other half to 9-11 victims for some fucking reason. And the 9-11 victims don't even want it because they're like, this isn't like, this has nothing to do with us. Yeah. But, but that's $7 billion that should be in Afghanistan's economy. That's just being held hostage by the U S and people are literally starving in Afghanistan because they don't have that money. If you, if you're the ruling body and you get kicked out and you just take everything and then sanction that country, yeah, of course they're going to have a hard time like rebuilding or like any or like anything. So is like the U.S. invading Afghanistan or even like Russia in like war with Ukraine? Is that like mar- modern colonialism? Like, is that how like it, it works now? Because like 
the way that I've always like seen colonialism is like, you know, back in the day, like 17, 18, 1600s, like even, you know, all the way back, like more of our savage times or like any country, like any country, like those were like different colonial ways. Does that make sense? Yeah. Colonialism's evolved over the years. Uh, and some people would argue that like, no, it's not colonialism. I would argue that yes, in a lot of these cases, it is colonialism. Um, especially like with when America invaded Iraq and Afghanistan, like they took it over to extract their resources and force the entire country under their boot. This is getting really off topic, though. Yeah, but, yeah. We'll, we'll uh, get back on. We'll get back on. Yeah, we'll, it's a good discussion. We'll, we'll cover that some other day. But essentially, like, this was their, like, playtime is just like, hey, you guys want to see a dead body? But, like, every day is, like, that standby me, stand me scenarios. Like, you guys want to see a dead body? It's like, we saw one yesterday, but all right, let's go. Yeah, so that's what she was doing when she was growing up. That's how she had yeah. fun. Okay. Yeah, that yeah, would, that that, um, that destroys a child's like, like the way that they think. Like they think that like dead bodies and stuff are normal, so that it's gonna affect them when they get older. Yeah, I can't imagine it's great for the psyche. Um, but I I would assume like when they buried these bodies, they also like looked through their pockets for you know money, money or anything stuff, valuable because yeah. like everyone in this area was poor as shit well they gotta eat i understand i, I yeah. mean i would probably do it if i'm hungry and i'm trying to provide for my family i, I would probably do some bad stuff yeah and, and i mean like they're dead like they're like they're not gonna miss it griselda's mother was also a very violent alcoholic so even burying bodies would be preferable to staying home most days like i said this is not a happy childhood this also led her to find other ways to pass the time. At some point in her childhood, I'm not sure exactly when, she became a pickpocket. If if somebody's got more than you and you're starving, yeah, that's the so way modern, to go. Modern day Aladdin. Yeah, kind of. And then at age 11, she and uh, some people she hung out with, I'm not even sure if I could really call them friends, decided to try to get a, try a bit more ambitious crime. They kidnapped a child who was barely younger than Griselda herself. Uh, this child was from a richer neighborhood, and they hoped to ransom him for money. The kids kidnapped a kid? How old are they? She's 11. I don't know how old anyone else in this group was. That's I would assume some of them were older. Could you imagine as, like, a five-year-old or a six-year-old, you're like, oh, the bigger kids want to play with me, and they kidnap you? <laughs> yeah, well, this kid was, like, 10, so, like, oh, okay, he, he, he would have been, like... Close enough to Griselda's age that, like, she was like, "You want to play?" and like, let him away, uh, like a Pied Piper. Yeah, uh, he, he might not even known he was kidnapped. They were just playing, and then they're like Griselda, and then like sent sent the parents' letter, like, "Hey, your kid's not coming back." Yes, possibly. They tried to ransom him for money. For whatever reason, the child's family refused to pay. Maybe they didn't have the money. Maybe they didn't take the group serious because they're you know mostly kids. Or maybe they just didn't have enough time to make it happen. But whatever the case may be, they weren't getting the ransom. Isn't that like a so, thing? You shouldn't pay the ransom, like in ransom negotiations? It really depends. Maybe that's and just TV. This, <laughs> yeah. Um, whatever the case may be, they weren't getting the ransom. So somebody gave Griselda a gun and dared her to shoot the boy. Griselda, being only 11, obviously shot the boy in the head, killing him instantly. Oh my gosh. Yeah, she's a hard 11. 
Yeah, she is. Well, they, if they have a gun and they're like shoot him or like kill him, they probably have all already like seen some real, real stuff. Like I know they're seeing dead bodies, that but they probably experienced some other things. That's like, yeah, and like Griselda was most certainly not the only child being beaten by her parents on a daily basis. So, yeah. and if she's uh, in, it could have also been like, you know, if she's hanging out with other kids and they could have been older and they had this thought of hey, let's kidnap this kid. It could have been like a semi-gang initiation to where like now kind she's of. part of yeah, them. Yeah, probably. So the next three years seemed to pass without any real noticeable or notable incidents. But when Griselda was 14, her mother's drunken rage was at its peak. She assaulted Griselda one night so badly, uh, she pulled her by her hair, punched her, knocked her to the ground, stomped on her, and tore off her shirt. So Griselda fled from the house shirtless, and ran all the way to Medellin. You know, I'm glad I had a good a good mother. I honestly can't, can't imagine, like, a mom doing that. Like, every time I hear stories, like, real stories about it and stuff, like, it just sounds so terrible. Like, like, how, like can you just... Like, I can't even imagine my mom doing something like that to me. Because yeah, it, it, even, it, even if they've been, like, terrible to you your whole life, it's still in your mind. That, that's your mom. Like, you love her. And, like, they're beating you. Like, and how, like, you cannot process that. Yeah, it would be incredibly uh, damaging to have to live like this. Griselda was now living on her own in Medellin. She continued being a pickpocket and also worked as a child prostitute when she had to to survive. A few she, years she's, later, she's going down the like, like the road of like th- this is how like normal like not normal things happen, but like how, like how kids become the way that they are. Like she's literally like checking all the boxes about things that she did in her childhood to like why she became bad or why she had like severe trauma like so severe mental health as she got older i'm assuming that she's about to go crazy and do like some stuff and that's most likely all of these childhood traumas are checking boxes and those boxes as those boxes gets checked it messes with your mind more and more and more and you can literally see studies that attribute back to like these childhood traumas or what caused this behavior yeah, getting this raw of a deal for, like, her entire childhood definitely made it more difficult to continue being a good person yeah. like, as an adult. Like, yeah. I like uh, I like when we can kind of analyze, like, their childhood behavior because there wasn't, like, there was some about Capone and some other people that we've talked about, but, like, not there hasn't been, like, this much that you've been able to, like, tell me. Yeah. Uh, so a few years later, while still a teenager, Griselda married a small-time criminal named Carlos Trujillo. Uh, who she would have three sons with, named Dixon, Uber, and Osvaldo. I think it's Uber. It might be Uber, but uh, I think it's Uber. Just Uber. It's spelled like Uber, though. I wonder why they went with Dixon on the first one. Yeah, that. Like Could've that been. one's. All three of the names are interesting, but is, that, is, Dixon, that the, is Dixon the oldest? Yes. It could have been the family name. I bet it was a family name. Maybe. I don't know. Um, Through her husband, she started making connections with other criminals in Medellin. And then at some point, their marriage fell apart. What exactly happened is hard to say. Either they divorced, which wasn't legal in Colombia until 2005, and then Carlos died of liver liver disease like uh, cirrhosis, or Griselda killed him slash had him killed. 
That's that's the one. She had him killed. They didn't get divorced. Yeah, her killing him seems more likely, given what we'll cover later. But in either case... Well, let me ask you this. Was there a, is, like, was there a real marriage certificate or anything like that? Or like, how do they how do they keep part of that? Or is it just like their word? I I don't really know how it worked in uh, Colombia at the time. I would I would assume there was like some sort of ceremony, but I don't know if there was like legal documents to like back it up. I'm not sure when like something like a marriage license like became a thing. So I, I don't know for sure. But in any case, uh, by the late 1960s, so Griselda would have been in her 20s at this point, or at the very latest, uh, the early 1970s, Griselda, using a fake passport, was in New York with a new husband named Alberto Bravo. So she got uh, from Colombia to New York. That's, yeah. a, that's a trick. That is... For any, like, people just think, like, immigrants can, like, they just, like, jump over here. They're like, oh, it's so easy, and they walk. Any immigrant coming over here from any way, like, even if they, like, come legally, it is so hard for them, unless they're, like, filthy rich, like, obviously. But the majority, like, you know, 90%, like, the majority, like, it's really hard for them to, like, immigrate anywhere. Like, it's, and it's, like, it's really, like troubling to like to their like minds and stuff yeah it's it's also just difficult like if you if you're poor and you have to cross by like land or if you have to come across by sea most cases like you don't have the equipment to like do it easily so like there's been a lot of people like floating uh on like makeshift rafts from like areas in the caribbean be it cuba uh dominican republic haiti uh and then like trying to cross like the entirety of mexico to get here is very difficult Uh, mexico is long it's very long and very big like yeah like it's not small that walk that walk takes a long time but uh griselda's uh husband alberto bravo uh did have some money so i believe they were able to just fly Oh, uh, is he, so he, I wonder if he's a bad guy. Is he a bad guy? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that well, he's not a good guy. So it might have been easier for him to get her there. Yeah. Bravo owned several garment factories that were mostly fronts for drug production, which gave them their cover for uh, when they appeared on the scene in Queens, New York. Like, they came in as uh, garment importers. Yeah. And uh, Blanco and Bravo shot up, set up shops selling cocaine. That's what I was about to ask. Was it Yayo? <laughs> yeah. So if you recall from our Cola Wars episode, cocaine was first outlawed in the United States, in New York at least, in the nineteen in nineteen fourteen with the Harrison Narcotics Act. Like so cocaine really like fell out of style in like the teens and early twenties. At the time at, at at the time that Blanco and Bravo set up shop most drug smugglers were primarily focused on marijuana, with other smaller operations doing various uppers, downers, and hallucinogens. Isn't cocaine uh, kind of like out of popularity now as well? Isn't it like meth and like um like other like fentanyl and like pills and stuff? Like it's still around, obviously. Like there's still a lot of cocaine, but like it's not like the pop like top at the top anymore. It, it's certainly not in its heyday uh, the way it was where we'll get to in this story. 
So, I mean, like, yeah, those are also illegal, but the demand the demand for cocaine and the supply had tanked in the U.S. because it was hard to come by and very expensive compared to other drugs. I wonder, um, I wonder what, like, well, I guess we, we probably know, like, what's the most, like, imported drug now? Like, or, like, ever? Like, it was, is it, do you think it's, like, weed? Or do you think it's, like, coke? Or, like... Are, are we talking, like, based on, like, just raw quantity? I guess. Probably, probably weed. Maybe coke, but probably weed. Or it's, or, or we're both wrong and it's something like opium or some shit. Yeah. Like, as far as, like, street drugs, like, and casual users, I'd say probably marijuana, maybe cocaine. So, cocaine was incredibly pricey at the time, like... I think so, I, I think I heard one uh, instance where it was like eight hundred dollars for an ounce. Finding a supplier was very difficult, and the market was small, while the demand for marijuana was much higher. So uh, most smugglers were focused primarily on marijuana. They were in like the '60s, '70s. That's when like marijuana was like super popular, right? That's like right, yeah. But marijuana is bulky and has a very distinct smell, whereas cocaine was very compact, far less odorous, and even a small amount can be very potent. So cocaine was pretty much reserved for a small, affluent market of, like, rock stars, the very rich, and then weekend warrior types, like doctors, lawyers, airline pilots, and other well-financed individuals who worked a regular week and then went wild on the weekends. Uh, the DEA mostly didn't even bother with, like, cocaine because it was just so rare comparatively. Like, yeah. they had pretty much all their efforts on marijuana. The other thing they had going for them, like, Bravo and Blanco had going for them, was their direct connection to Colombia. Well, they the just, Medellin, had, they just huh? had got done with, like, prohibition and stuff at that time, too. So, like, they, like, right? So, like. No, it's the seven sixties. Well, yeah, this this would have been about thirty years after prohibition. Thirty years, ended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never mind. Keep going. Okay. So the Medellin cartel was, um, will like had like they just become like a a real group in like the late sixties, but they were willing to give them essentially all they could buy, and in nineteen seventy one. Blanco and Bravo became the first distributors to sell Medellin uh, cocaine in the United States. This connection allowed them to undersell the New York mob, like all the families in New York, because uh, not only was theirs cheaper, but also pure and in ready supply. Suddenly a lot of more people could afford cocaine because they could undersell it. And using uh, Bravo's garment factories, Griselda came up with a pretty clever scheme to ship the product to the U.S. Like, they still had to get it here. Yeah. So, Griselda saw that female drug mules were able to cross through customs much easier than men were. So she created a special line of lingerie filled with tiny pockets that could be filled with bags of cocaine. Each bag itself was very small, but when added up, this would equal pounds of cocaine all over the body. And to passerbys, it would just appear to be a very curvy woman. And, you know, like, there is the stereotype of Latin American women being very curvy anyway, so, like, a little bit of extra padding wasn't gonna be missed. Yeah. So, see, see, she sounds like she's a lot more competent than, like, Capone. 
already. She's inventing things to, for her drugs. Like she, she's the brain. Yeah, she's very much an innovator. Innovator. Um, so one of uh, Blanco's outfits would be found discarded in an airport bathroom. It had over seven pounds of cocaine spread out over fifty-eight various pockets. That's a lot of coke in a lot of pockets. Like that alone, that one person could carry would have been worth somewhere between $89,600 to $112,000 in 1971. So today's value, that would have been somewhere between $640,000 and $800,000. Jeez. Like, that's just something one person's wandering in with. You know, even if I ever found, like, cocaine or something, I would have no idea how to sell it or get the money's worth of it. Like, yeah, I don't even know how they get it. Like, how do you just, like, start selling drugs? Like, I, that, that's just, like, a crazy, like, a business in general. Like, it's, that's just, like, a crazy side of life that, like, I don't even know how to, like, step into. I don't think yeah, most people do. You really gotta know a guy. Yeah. So we have no idea why it was abandoned. Probably the mule got scared or thought they were going to get caught. Or maybe they, you know, tried to drop it for someone and it got intercepted by a curious passerby. Hard to say, but um, but they found that and uh, they were like, whoa, what is this, you know? It's probably some so pervert th- being like, oh, there's some lingerie. I'm going to take it home and sniff it. Maybe. And then they, and then they got really fucking high. <laughs> So this operation was so successful that it, within the first few months, they were pulling in as much as $10 million a week, which would be $71.5 million today. What the... What? I just... I, that's so much money. Yeah. Like, I would just sell one month and get out. Yeah. Uh, I, like, there's... Like, you'd think that, like, these people would just be like, all right, we do this once... And then we don't have to do this again. But, like, if you do it once and it's successful, like, there's going to be that, like, okay, well, we can do it one more time and it's going to be, like, even better. You know, like, it just, like, the confidence of succeeding just builds and builds and, like, you're just like, why not make more money? Like, yeah, we've got $10 million in a week. Next week we could have $20 Next week we could have $30 You know, like, it's, like, greed certainly plays a factor and when the numbers are that high it's hard to just let go i wonder how many people would like sell drugs for like a month if they could like make a whole life's living for like one month and just dip like if they had that option it's hard to say man oh also do you think that's like immoral to do or do you think it's like you know they found the way to get by they did it like I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about like if a oh, if a person like had like the chance to do it. Uh, I don't know. Like uh, personally, I I think drugs should just be decriminalized across the board. I think it would help with like our stigma of drug users, and like we could then instead of focusing all this money on like stopping the import, we could instead focus on like treating people with addiction and like helping them and like erasing the stigma, so like they wouldn't feel like yeah roll uh, that money from all the task force out of that into mental health 
yeah, uh, to mental health, to rehab, to whatever, yeah. and like actually help these people. Like, I think that would be a better way to do it, like the way Portugal did. But, but I don't know. Is it immoral to sell drugs? I mean, I don't know. Like, I definitely don't think it's immoral to sell uh, marijuana, whether it's legal or not. Uh, with something like cocaine, like there is that extra stigma of like if it's not pure. Or if it's too pure, like, people could overdose and die. Or, like, if it's cut with something wrong, they could die. And, and like, it's not exactly good for the body. So, like, selling something that's not good, like, doesn't seem great. But I don't know. Like, I I think there's gray areas to that. So it's definitely immoral to sell meth is what I'm hearing. Don't sell meth. Yeah, meth just seems like a bad, <laughs> a bad deal all the way around. But anyways, yeah, that's a hell of a lot of money, and it didn't take long for the authorities to take notice and start investigating. Griselda fell in love with certain parts of American society, because if you're rich, it's pretty much always a great time to be an American. Yeah, I wished I was rich and could know that feeling. She also became particularly infatuated with the movie The Godfather, which starred Al Pacino. She loved it so much that she started calling herself La Madrina. As in the Godmother. So she came up with the name. I believe so. Uh, Others started calling her that as well. Uh, Yeah, it's so like it might have been that she started calling herself that. It might have been like her friends started calling herself that because she. No, I don't know. That's definitely why she was got the nickname. That's definitely why she was getting called Gordita Crunch. She she was they she was like you know brought gave herself her own nickname and stuff and they're like no behind her back they were whispering she's Gordita Crunch, she's an asshole. But as much as she liked Michael Corleone, she instead fell for the same fatal flaw as Tony Montana. She got high on her own supply. But Griselda wasn't much for snorting cocaine. Instead, she smoked bazooka, sometimes called bazooka. But uh, the name Basuco comes from the Spanish basura, which means trash. Uh, because Basuco is based, like, it, it, it's the bottom of the barrel, both literally and figuratively. It's the scrapings from the bottom of the barrel of the that raw coca paste is made in. And it's not quality enough to be manufactured into cocaine hydrochloride, which is the stuff you would buy on the street. So these barrel dregs are too caustic to snort or eat or inject. The only way to even use basuco is to combine it with something like tobacco or cannabis and smoke so it. She was so she was basically smoking what them dirty cockroaches do, what the dirty cockroaches uh, smoke. Yeah, uh, she was smoking raw cocaine. Well, just, raw just a, coca paste. That was a Tony Montana uh, Scarface reference that we did not cover last week yeah sorry uh, so she's raw dog and coca paste and jazz into gangster flicks and generally having a good time she's their operation at its co- height was co- moving co- 3400 pounds of cocaine a month that's 1.7 tons or 50 like 100 or sorry 1542.2 kilograms netting them somewhere around 43.5 million dollars at the time which would be $241.9 million now. A month. Bro, where, where do they keep all this money? That's a thing that a lot of uh, drug dealers who have uh, 
and, and like smugglers like talk about in like documentaries and stuff it's like the problem wasn't getting the drugs in here or making money the problem is what you do with the money like they'd have to like buried in their backyards they'd set up front companies they just buy shit tons of real estate shit tons of cars boats like they had so much money they didn't know how to spend it or use it or anything well like, just to, just to be able to like keep it because you can't like just wash all that money like instantly like because like you're gonna get seen like you're gonna get noticed that quickly and yeah they they just had like warehouses full of boxes of cash because they couldn't like they couldn't put it anywhere else that's that's just what like if i got dirty rich from that like how do you like how do they even buy a house like did you can you buy a house all cash is that a thing it i mean like you could but you'd have like it'd be pretty shady <laughs> like i'm just thinking like like what do you do with all that cash like it's just, and it's all cash you need it's got to be all cash other because you have to be able to wash it and you have to like it's not like they're like a freaking apple paying for like uh for, for like cocaine <laughs> like they're venmoing I'm, dude i wonder if they are venmoing for cocaine now I, i'm sure it's been ha- i'm sure it's been done <laughs> I, I doubt they put that in the, like, <laughs> comments or anything, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm sure that, like, they've done it. Uh, but as much as she was enjoying it, her relationship was with Bravo was falling apart. He had bo- moved back to Columbia to, quote-unquote, check on things. By check on things, I mean he got horny. He wanted to screw all the girls. Yeah, depending on the source, he was either sleeping around, skimming extra money, or both. Well, what Griselda I, what was I've convinced about extremely powerful men in very sketchy job uh, jobs is that they're not very faithful. Yeah, it, it turns out if you're like in a morally corrupt business, you tend to be morally corrupt. <laughs> like, so. Griselda was convinced of both, but she was also probably a little paranoid from the bazooka. And then in 1975, Blanco and 30 of her subordinates were indicted on federal drug conspiracy charges in Operation Banshee, where they they intercepted a shipment of 150 kilos of cocaine. Yeah, 150 kilos. Isn't that like 300 pounds or something like that? Yeah, it would have been right around there, which I think would have been like... 4.2 million dollars at the time which i didn't look up but would be a shit ton of money now and griselda was paranoid enough to keep a jet fueled and standing by at a moment's notice this worked out well for her because she was she caught wind of the heat and was able to flee to miami to like hop on a flight to miami and then back to columbia dude it must have been so easy to fly like your private planes wherever you wanted like back then because now like it's very hard to like like your private planes are tracked all the time back then i know you had to still like put in like your um route yeah your flight and like your routes so you like don't crash in the air and stuff but you could like if you needed to you could just leave like like now everything from every like everything in the air is registered no matter what i I mean maybe there's some like secret planes out there like private planes that are just like flying around but like it's very uncommon 
Yeah, um, but at this time it was a lot less well regulated. Uh, so there was there was planes flying all over the place that uh, yeah. were not going where they claimed they were, or like didn't even say where they were going. I'm also assuming there's probably a lot less things in the air back then than there are now, just in general. So like you probably. didn't run the risk of being like, okay, I'm gonna crash into this person in the middle of the night because we're on the same route. Yeah, well, there were also a lot of plane crashes back then. So anyways, she gets down to Columbia. While she's uh, letting, like, the heat die down, she confronts her husband, Alberto Bravo, about his behavior, either the other women or the missing money. The details vary as far as what exactly went down next, but the argument ended with gunshots. One version of the story is that they both pulled guns, her a pistol and him a machine pistol, like a Mac-10 or an Uzi, uh, but her... Like, she drew faster, and uh, he took a bullet to the head while she took one to the stomach. Uh, another version is that she blasted him, and as he was falling limp, she grabbed his gun and just mowed down his six bodyguards. There's another version where it was just, like, an all-out gunfight. Bravo gets capped first, uh, and then, like, Griselda gets shot in the stomach, and she has to be, like, dragged out of a firefight while, like, her her guards and Bravo's guards just, like, go at it. She gets taken to the hospital. In any case, the end result was she killed him and I guess took a super superficial bullet to the gut. Uh, like it, it didn't it didn't uh, put her down for too long, and she was able to quickly recover, and also gain a new nickname, the Black Widow, because she now at least allegedly killed two husbands. So she's scary. rolling around with a few solid nicknames, uh, and. And also has the entirety of the empire she had created with the late Alberto Bravo. But she wanted to go back to the U.S. because that's where the money was to be made and the fun to be had. New York was still too hot to return to, but that didn't really bother her, because her sights were aimed further south, to a place that at the time was considered a sleepy little beach town. Miami, Florida. I don't, I never, why are people so obsessed with Miami? Well, the Miami area was originally inhabited by the Tequesta uh, tribe for about 2,000 years before contact with the Europeans. And then in 1566, Admiral Pedro Menendez de Aviles, Florida's first governor, claimed the area for Spain. The city of Miami claims the distinction of being the only, quote, major city in the U.S. to be founded by a woman. Julia Tuttle, a citrus grower, was the owner of the land of what is now Miami, and at the time it was known as Biscayne Bay. After the Great Freeze of 1894 to 1895 devastated most of the citrus crops in central and north Florida, Tuttle's land was like the only place that like survived the Great Freeze. So she she was able to use this as leverage for uh, Tuttle to convince a guy named Henry Flagler. A railroad tycoon to extend his Florida East Coast Railway all the way to what is now Miami. He, like, I don't know where he was going to stop before that, but somewhere further north, she was like, hey, come all the way down here because our citrus survived the Great Freeze. Like, we can use it. Basically, what I got out of that is that global warming isn't real and even Florida freezes. <laughs> I'm just playing. You guys should see his face. <laughs> so, Tuttle still had to give up half of her land for the deal to go through, but this rail line made the creation and growth of Miami possible. 
Miami was officially incorporated as a city on July 28, 1896. And Miami became known as the Magic City for its incredible growth, starting with just 300 people in 1980, or, sorry, 1896. Less than 50 years later, it boasted a population of 172,172 by 1940. That's a lot. Yeah, it, it was a vacation quick. town for a lot of people, so those that came year after year would marvel at its growth, saying it grew, quote-unquote, like magic. So so is that like the initial, like, uh, you? that's where you, like, initially retired to uh, Florida? Like, that's where everybody talked about? It was one of the places, yeah, for sure. And then it just grew into, like, all of Florida's retirement home? <laughs> Pretty much. So is it, Florida's just a retirement home and crazy people. Like, they say, like... That's just what everybody thinks about it now. Those are its claim to fame, other than like being shaped like a penis. Miami continued to grow year after year, but in 1959, when Castro's revolutionaries overthrew the Batista regime, a lot of very wealthy Cubans fled to Miami, which was a huge boom to the city's growth. And many of these new arrivals were wealthy and well-educated, unlike a lot of the Cubans that were under Batista's regime. Like, there was a very... There was a lot of wealth disparity in Cuba uh, under Batista, so like the rich were very rich and everyone else was very poor, very uh, poorly educated and everything. So the the richest, the ones, the richest were the more likely to support Batista, so when Batista got ousted, they bailed. So wait, is this, so when Batista got ousted, is that when Castro took over? Yeah, in 1959. Okay. So Dude, Castro was old. He 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 was there for a long time. Yeah, yeah. He uh he ruled for quite a while. So uh, by the time Griselda Blanco arrived in 1978, Miami was still seen as a relatively quiet town. Sorry, quiet city, despite its size. Like up until 1956, Miami uh, would only have one sheriff patrol car at night for the for an area the size of rhode island uh, this is according to one of the narrators of the documentary cocaine cowboys from 2006 for being such a like big city they had very little police presence well because it was mostly old people you know like they just well, didn't there just wasn't much going on well back in the day there wasn't like as much organized crime at all like even now you have a like the, the crime that you see is even somewhat organized. Like, if there was never any crime that was going on in, like, all these small towns, why would they have police to, like, police it or, like, drive around? Well, there was crime, but, um, yeah, it, it wasn't organized in Miami the way it was in Chicago or New yeah. York. Like, there's, but, there, like, there's, like, smallish towns now, like, medium-sized smallish towns now that don't have, like, a lot of police. Yeah, but, like, this wasn't even that small, like, at the time. Like, this yeah. was still a big place for not a lot going on. But, like, most of the people there were, like, wealthy and, uh, and like, a lot of retirees. So, like, they just weren't the kind to, like, really go about committing crime you need, like, I mean, burglaries or anything. Like, they might be committing something like financial crimes or whatever, yeah. but... Like, well, honestly, if I lived in, like, a retirement home or, like, a, uh, like, a old people thing to where they all go live together, that's not a retirement home, but, like, a retirement 
apartment complex, like a like an assisted living, yeah, facility. I'd or probably feel like I'd probably feel really safe. I wasn't yeah. gonna be like, oh, these old people are gonna like shank me or anything. Well, oh, maybe Dave from down the road, down the hole, he he might have one of his like outbursts at night to where he doesn't remember where he's at. But like for the yeah, most one part, of his, one of his war flashbacks or dementia yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But um. So, anyways, like this was a pretty safe place and primarily a vacation site and a travel hub. Like by the time Griselda moved there, Miami was like a a plate like the place you would stop in when you're flying from like New York or California and then from there you would go like catch a flight or a boat to the Bahamas for vacation or like Cuba or something you know like I'm trying to emphasize this was a very safe and quiet place for being so big and throughout the 60s and 70s in particular Miami saw an influx of Central and South American immigrants both legal and illegal uh, these new immigrants felt pretty at home in Miami because there were areas where everyone could speak at least some Spanish, and therefore even these new arrivals could get along without speaking a word of English. Sorry, did it, like there were places where they spoke Spanish, so they yeah. could get around, which is also possible, but not as easy in places like New York and California. Like in Miami, you could like move in, you'd see like road signs in Spanish, uh, like shops in shops in Spanish and like you could go about your day-to-day life without speaking a word of English. Yeah, I guess it would be like back in the day if you went to like Little Italy or something and you only could speak Italian, you could get around Little Italy probably because they probably all spoke Italian because the majority of them were immigrants. Yeah, or at least like knew enough people that were immigrants that like they could speak enough to like help you out. Yeah. But Griselda and some other ambitious entrepreneurs like John Roberts, Sal Magluda, uh, and Willie Falcone, they saw it as a perfect spot to set up shop. Miami and much of southern the southern tip of Florida was an easy access point for smugglers. Like, it always had been. Like, early days of piracy. It was just a vulnerable spot. Like, there wasn't enough Coast Guard at the time or, like, beach patrols to, like, cover the whole tip. And bad people... <laughs> cover the whole tip i don't know why that got me anyway and bad people always will just want to take advantage and ruin good things you know we we this could be a lovely place now we could have always enjoyed it and it could have been a haven for happiness but all you bad people had to take it over and change it to something terrible now it's just a booty shaking thongs uh women without clothes on half the time cubans colombians stuff i don't know i've never been to miami i actually don't know what's all there started sounding like a racist uncle <laughs> i don't know oh they got the booty shaking and the colombians <laughs> I, was, I was literally just like reading off my mind what i've seen in like tv <laughs> and then like my, then like the miami vice agents that's that's all i got that earlier. <laughs> is this what she looks like yeah, uh, so... Oh, look, she looks like she could be mean. The, the so younger picture first, doesn't. Yeah, the first picture must have been when she was real young. Uh, but the one with her uh, wearing the hat is, like, 
more of what she would have looked like at this time. Oh, yeah. She's got power then. You can tell. You can see it in her face. The younger yeah. pitcher's like, oh, I, I just got to America and something, you know. Something like that. So it was a vulnerable spot that wasn't well guarded. And uh, so it was pretty popular if you were bringing in an illicit items, you would bring them in through Southern Florida. Like uh, the Summer of Love, 1967, 95% of the marijuana that was smoked entered or at least passed through Miami. To be honest, Jeez. I always thought the Summer of Love was 1969, if you know what I mean. Hippies can't even get that shit right. Well, was 69ing even uh, popular back then? Or is that more of a, a, moder- a, mo- a modern take on sexuality? No, there, there were certainly people doing it, but I, I don't know how popular it was. Well, you probably, if you were doing anything like that back then, they were like, you're a witch or something, or like a, <laughs> you know. Perhaps. So anyways, at this point, uh, when she moved to Miami, she had also married another husband, Dario Sepulveda, and they had one child together, a son named Michael Corleone Blanco. Michael Corleone Blanco. Is that like... Yeah. The actual Michael Corleone. What do you mean? Like, isn't there, isn't that like a real person, or is that from like a TV show or something? It's Al Pacino's character in The Godfather. Oh, they named him after. That's what I was like. That's yes. such a accurate. So they named him after The Godfather. Yes. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> it's it's very on the nose. Yes, yeah, so that's like you're just basically announcing it. Like, and I think at this point, uh, it would have been, like, after season one of Game of Thrones when every asshole was naming their kid Khaleesi. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like I imagine there were people that were just like, really? Really? <laughs> yeah, so she, uh, Michael became her pride and joy. Her previous three sons were still her children, and she loved them and cared for them, but Michael was who she was grooming for success. By the time her... Three older sons became adults, like, they were already working in the business for her. But Michael, she she doted on and spoiled. But uh, her time away had done, done a number on her. She had been on top when she was in New York, which is probably what she looked like in that first, or in the second picture I sent you. But by the time she had moved back to Florida, like, she wasn't well known, and, uh, and while that had worked for her to actually enter the U.S., because... Remember, she's still a fugitive from uh, New York. Uh, it wasn't great for her empire, and she needed to reestablish herself. And also, the ba- the Basuko had, you know, done a bit of work on her face. Like, so that picture with her in the uh, hat is probably what she looked like when she came back to Miami. So she was also a woman in a very misogynistic trade. Uh, Being a woman and a mother made people think she was soft, and having disappeared for a few years had made people less inclined to trust her capabilities as a drug queen. Still, she was able to set up shop and use her Medellin connections to start distributing cocaine to the new, eager Florida market. But she had a lot of competition and rivals, and she needed to make her mark. Lucky for her, she had plenty of money, so she was able to finance this new venture. Like, she wasn't starting from scratch this time. She had... She still had all the money from the empire she had made in New York. Yeah, she just trucked it down there, you know. They get a couple of transfer trucks and moved the money down there. Yeah, something like that. Uh, still, there was this implication that she was a woman and therefore either soft or unreliable. And Griselda didn't like that. And as we've seen, she's very familiar with violence. 
So on July 11th, 1979, at around 2.30 p.m., two men, Jimenez Paneso and Juan Carlos Hernandez, his bodyguard, entered the Crown Liquor Store, which was a liquor store in the Dadeland Mall. Very public place. Unbeknownst to them, a delivery truck had pulled up bearing the name Happy Time Complete, Happy Time Complete Supply Party, uh, and it had pulled up near the door. Out of this van rushed multiple men ready for war. While Hernandez and uh, Panessa were per- perusing the liquor, the assassins entered carrying automatic weapons and just started unloading. Panesso and Hernandez were riddled with gunfire. The Crown Liquor Store was riddled with bullets, broken glass, and blood. The killers exited and then just started spraying into the parking lot. Then they got back into their van and they drove around for a little bit, still firing. And by the time police arrived, the van was just left empty with uh, the door open and the engine running. Why did they start shooting at everybody else? Just, uh, like... I think part of it was, like, so there would be no witnesses, but also, but more than that, just to, like, terrify everyone so they would run away. Okay. It just seems a little excessive for no reason, but okay. It seems very excessive. So the reason the the party van was uh, abandoned was most likely due to traffic. Like, it was just really, like, they just couldn't get out of the mall parking lot so they just had to abandon this truck and when police opened this delivery truck they were shocked by what they discovered the van was covered in bulletproof vests and steel plating with small windows that could act as gun ports and the truck also had held various guns pistols shotguns mac 10s and uzis and rifles like 14 or so guns uh were just like left in this van it's the happy tom truck it's (laughs) they bring happiness as such, they dubbed this the War Wagon. The War Wagon. Yeah. And and this was, like, an expensive piece of equipment. Like, like at the time, it wouldn't have been much. Like, it would have been, like, in the tens of thousands of dollars. But, like, as we've seen, like, that's, like, in today's money, that's a shit ton. And they just had to abandon it so they didn't get caught. And this legitimately scared the shit out of the police. Like, most of them were only carrying, like, six-shot revolvers which would have done nothing to this war wagon. Like, if they had a shootout with this thing, the cops would have been torn to pieces. Like, Jim, uh, we need we need some more guns. Yeah. Get, get somebody down here. Yeah, they were very suddenly shown how ill-equipped they were and uh, for what was about to happen. Uh, I don't know who coined it, but either, like, a journalist or a cop called this an old western shootout, like Dodge City or the OK Corral. And... Uh, and that, like, this became the inciting incident for what was to become known as the Cocaine Cowboy War, also known as the Miami Drug War. And we will continue with that on part two next week. Yeah. I didn't know it was a two-parter. Yeah, I wasn't expecting it to be, but uh, there's just a whole lot of information in this, so... We'll be back next week with uh, the rest of Griselda's career and also some details on the Cocaine Cowboy War. Probably some more death and blood and violence and, like you said, cocaine. Uh, yeah. Cocaine. So, any final thoughts? No. She sounds like a crazy lady. Hard she, life. 
rough start, uh, ambitious, and ruthless. Just so you guys know, you don't have to be defined by your childhood. If you have childhood trauma, seek help. Get some therapy. You don't have to be a killer. It's okay. You can choose a different way of life. Yeah, unfortunately, she did not. That's all I got for this week. Okay. Well, guys, thanks for listening. Catch us for more on our Twitter at what underscore we underscore consume and on Instagram at what we consume podcast. Yeah, please review us uh, on whatever uh, app you listen to podcasts on. Other than that, I am at King Hagathor on Twitter. Bye-bye.